Hebrews chapter 13, if you will pray with me one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be gracious and merciful to us. Cause your face to shine upon us through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would enable us to behold our Savior, Jesus Christ, in all his glory. To see that he is worthy. That we would live lives of acceptable worship to him. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the best-selling Christian book apart from the Bible? Does anybody know? It's called Pilgrim's Progress. That's right. We've talked about this before. Pilgrim's Progress was written in the 17th century by John Bunyan, who was a Puritan pastor. And Bunyan uh, writes this story as an allegory. It's kind of a picture of the Christian life. And he tells the story of this pilgrim who begins in the city of destruction, that is this world, and he journeys to the heavenly city, that's heaven. And along the way, this guy meets uh, different characters, and they're all given names according to what they are. You know, so he meets an, a guy named Evangelist, who tells him the gospel. He meets another guy named Worldly Wise Man, who gives him some foolish advice. He meets uh, other companions, faithful and hopeful, who go along with him. And he meets this particular individual. They both meet this particular individual named Ignorance. Now, Ignorance doesn't really care about doctrine. By his name, you might imagine, he doesn't care about what you know. He's on the journey. He says he's going to make it to the heavenly city. He wants to get there. But he doesn't care about what you need to know in order to get there. And it's very sad that uh, in evangelical circles around the world today, uh, many professing believers in Christ are a lot like Mr. Ignorance. There's this constant thread that we see running throughout Christianity around the world that doesn't matter what you know. Doctrine, stay away from that. Let's just think about feelings for Jesus in our heart. We want to go to heaven, but the preaching of God's word is not that important. Learning spiritual truth is not that important. All that is important is how you live your life. Well, the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther once said this, and I think this is significant. He says, as doctrine is, so also is life. If doctrine is filled with lying, life is hypocritical. In the church, doctrine must be pure and therefore life also, so that the truth of both doctrine and life are preserved. Friends, this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at in today's text. So if you would look with me at verse 7 and following, let me read this for us. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings 
For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The goal of this text and of God's word today is that our hearts would grow in firm conviction to stay rooted in sound doctrine about Christ, which leads to lives of faithful devotion to Christ. We must stay rooted in sound doctrine about Christ so that we live lives of faithful devotion to Christ. This is what acceptable worship means when it comes to doctrine. The great theme of this chapter, chapter 13 of Hebrews, which the author introduced at the end of chapter 12, was that we must offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And this acceptable worship then plays out in our lives in believing the right things so that we live the right way. That we must be convinced of the faith once for all delivered to us. The unchanging gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That means that we will reject false teachings and pursue true devotion. And the author of Hebrews today will give us four exhortations in this text for us to stay rooted in sound doctrine so that we live lives of faithful devotion. Four exhortations. The first one is this. Remember faithful leaders. Remember faithful leaders. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now again, you might remember the context of Hebrews. This was a sermon that was originally preached to a congregation of formerly Jews. The, these were Jewish Christians. They were facing persecution, affliction for their faith, suffering. They had begun to grow sluggish and weak. Many of them were tempted to abandon Christ and to go back to Judaism. And the author preaches this sermon to remind them, don't fall away from Christ. That would be disastrous. Going back to Judaism would be to fall away from the living God and you will face judgment. So this concerned pastor is preaching to these weary saints to encourage them to carry on. And if you remember chapter 11, throughout chapter 11, he gave them several examples of faithfulness, of faith in the lives of all of these believers from the Old Testament throughout history. He reminded 
these people of those faithful believers and how they trusted in the reality that exists beyond this world, how they trusted in God's promises and how it shaped their lives. Well, here he reminds them of the example of their own leaders, of their own pastors, of leaders who have lived among them. And he gives three exhortations there concerning these leaders. Did you see uh, verse 7? He says, remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Remember, consider, imitate. What is it that we remember about them? Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. We remember what they spoke. We remember that they proclaimed the word of God. That they preached Christ and him crucified. That they preached God's inspired word and spoke God's word to us. He says, consider. What must we consider? The, the word used there for consider means to reflect, think about, look at, and think about. What must we consider? What must they consider? Remember that they spoke the word of God faithfully, but consider... Their conduct. Consider their example. Consider the outcome of their way of life. You see, spiritual leadership is not just about what you say. It's not just about preaching and gifts in speaking. It's also about how you live. This is why scripture impresses upon us the character qualifications for anyone who would aspire to the office of elder or pastor. That we must live a certain way in conformity to the truths that we proclaim and preach. And that way of life then sets an example for believers to follow. The outcome of it is that others grow in godliness. Consider their way of life. We must remember, consider, and finally he says, imitate. Imitate. Imitate their faith. Follow their example. Imitate their confidence in the revealed truth about God and Christ. Imitate their confident conviction about the realities that exist beyond this world and how it leads them to live even now. You know, one buzzword that is common in Christian circles and in churches, and many people have asked me even, what's a plan for discipleship? Discipleship becomes a buzzword. We very often think about discipleship as some kind of program. You just get the right program in the church and discipleship happens. Well, when we look at scripture, true discipleship in the Christian life is really imitation. All of Christian life is meant to be a life of imitation. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, says Paul. That's what discipleship is. It's following the example of those who follow Christ. And here the author reminds this congregation, remember your leaders, consider how they lived, and imitate their faith and their walk with God. That's how we grow. That's how we stay firm. Perhaps God has blessed you over the years 
with particular leaders whom he's used in your life through their preaching and through their conduct, through their conviction. Here the author of Hebrews encourages you, scripture encourages you, remember those leaders, whether dead or alive. Consider how they lived. Imitate their faith. I would not be who I am today as a believer in Christ if it were not for the faithful example of leaders who spoke the word of God to me. I think particularly of the various pastors that I've sat under over the years. I think of Ryan Fullerton, whose life was such an example of absolute dependence upon the Lord. I just remember sitting under his preaching and there was such power, like thunder and lightning when he preached the word of God. And I knew him personally, and I knew that that power in his preaching came from a life devoted to prayer, fervent prayer. I, I think of the example of West Pastor, many of you have met, who visited us here earlier this year. I think of his example of hard work in the ministry, devotion to Christ, his sacrificial love towards the church. Uh, you know, people often ask me, how is it that you learn the names of every member in the church? It's the example of men like Wes that God placed in my life, that he knew not only the names of every member of the church, but also their children. And we pray for them by name. I think of the blessing of Tom Schreiner that God blessed me with, who will visit later this year in December. His command of the scriptures, his rigorous study of the text, but combined with a godly humility and meekness and gentleness. One of the most foremost New Testament scholars in the world, but carries himself like a humble, ordinary brother in Christ. And of course, I am especially blessed and reminded of the example of our former senior pastor, Jeremy Rinney, who's visiting next week. I think of, as I worked with him closely, how much I learned from his example. I think of his patience, his resilience in trials, his constant commitment to build the church on Christ and not on himself. I think of his presence with the sheep, how he committed to know each one. I think of his absolute trust and unwavering confidence in God's sovereignty and God's sufficient word to build the church. I hope many of you remember these things and will consider how he lived and imitate his faith. Even as you meet him this next week, thank him for his example. Uh, I think of former senior pastor Cam Aronson and his faithfulness. Many of you know his faithfulness to proclaim the word of God week after week for 25 years in this church. As a congregation, we should be reminded of the example of Carl and Barbara Sherbeck who planted this church, who in the 1960s got on a plane and landed in the middle of the desert with this conviction from John chapter 10 that Jesus said, other sheep I have, and they also must hear my voice. I hope we will be moved to have that kind of faith that will send us to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, I'm sure God has blessed you with many examples over the years of faithfulness, of leaders who proclaim the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Remember faithful leaders. But there was one faithful leader whose faithfulness is unmatched, who is perfect in every way. And here the author gives us this sudden transition into verse 8, 
Uh, and he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's one of the gems of a verse in, in the letter to the Hebrews. It's a beautiful, short little verse. It's a great banner verse if you want to put it up in a poster or stick it up on the wall somewhere or have it as a wallpaper on your iPhone or laptop. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And, and sometimes we feel like that verse just kind of drops out of the sky in the middle of the passage. What's, it connection, what's its connection to what is before and what is after? Well, it's not just a verse standing by itself. It is closely connected to what the author has been saying and what he is about to say. See, he said, remember these faithful leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And now when he says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, he wants us to grasp that the same Christ that they proclaimed, the same Christ that your leaders in the past trusted, the same truths that they believed about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is what must shape your life today. Because Jesus never changes. He is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. From all eternity past. Before the world began. He existed as God the Son. Perfectly and completely, fully God. When creation came into being, there he was. Alongside his Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working to bring all of the universe into existence. Jesus Christ, God the Son, was there, eternally existing, receiving glory and honor from the host of heaven. He is the same yesterday when he was made flesh, when he took on flesh so that he was fully God and fully man to save sinners from their sins, came into this world lived the perfect life in every way just like us, taking upon himself all our sorrows, our sufferings, our struggles, even our temptations, but yet without sin. Perfect in every way as fully God, fully man. And he went to the cross, was crucified, died, was buried, rose again glorious, ascended into heaven and for 2,000 years has been proclaimed in the nations. He is the same yesterday. That Jesus Christ is the same today. Seated on his throne. Reigning, ruling. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Interceding. Praying. Pleading. As a faithful high priest. For sinners like you and me, his people, even now. Sustaining. Strengthening. Holding us by his grace. He is the same today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the same unchanging when one day we will see his face and we will be amazed forever at his glory as he stands as the lamb who was slain and receives worship from every tribe and tongue and nation that he has redeemed by his blood. Saying, worthy are you to receive glory and honor and praise as he fills the new creation with the light of his glory. He will be the same 
forever. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And what the author is saying is that Jesus, that Jesus is the one whom your leaders proclaim to you and whose power and grace you saw working in their lives as they set an example for you. That Jesus is the one whom you trusted, who brought you from darkness to light who shed his blood for you to save you from your sins, who gave you life and brought you to himself, that Jesus is the one that you must hold on to even now. You see, this congregation of Jewish Christians, they were faced with all of these trials and afflictions, and they had begun to lose sight of this Christ. That's what happens, isn't it? When we're faced with trials on every side, sometimes our eyes go off of the only one who can help us and on to other things. These believers, they had forgotten the example of their leaders. They had forgotten the Jesus who never changes. They had begun to go away into strange and diverse teachings, hoping that their lives would be easier. And friends, the temptation is the same for us, isn't it? On the one hand, there's always this temptation for what is new. New songs that focus on how we feel rather than on what God has done. New teachings. New ways of interpreting the Bible. New doctrines. New revelations. New anointings new prayers, promising blessings, so many options. And typically what's common with all of these new teachings, with all of this new stuff, is it aims to make your life feel easier. The Christian life is hard. And so it's always tempting to go off into teachings that promise ease, that it will be easier. That's what was happening with these believers, that's what often happens today. The author reminds them and us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does not change. Therefore, stay rooted in what is old. As J.R.R. Tolkien famously said, the old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. And that leads to our second exhortation today concerning sound doctrine and faithful devotion. Not only must we remember faithful leaders, but second, we must also reject strange teachings. Reject strange teachings. Look at verses 8 to 10. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now again, remember the context. These believers... We're trying to find an easy way out of the persecution, the suffering, the afflictions they faced for their faith in Christ. And for them, there was this temptation 
to depart from the Christian faith and to go back and live under the old covenant law. And if you think about the old covenant law, you had laws concerning foods, you had various feasts and ceremonial meals, and all of that was given by God's grace to mark his people away from the nations, to distinguish who his people are. But all of that was now fulfilled in Christ. The time for that law was done and fulfilled with the once for all sacrifice for Christ. These people were now falling under this strange teaching that if you come back to the law and if you keep the food laws, the whole law has been distorted now and perverted as a way to get right with God. Just keep these food laws, just eat these ceremonial meals and your sufferings will, you'll be strengthened in the middle of your sufferings. Everything will be okay. God will bless you. And the author says, that kind of teaching to lose faith and go back to Judaism is a strange and dangerous teaching which will lead you to fall away from the living God. And he says, don't be led away by these and any other teachings. Did you notice he says diverse and strange teachings? There are so many false doctrines that seek to lead us away from Christ with the promise that our lives will be made easier. Now, if you want your heart to be strengthened, it's not strengthened by the foods that you eat. As one person said, you need grace in your heart, not a special type of food in your body. God strengthens us by grace. Did you see what he says there? It is good for the heart, verse 9, to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which do not benefit those devoted to them. God's grace sustains us. No matter what suffering or trial or affliction you are facing today, if you're here this morning and you are weak and it is hard, I want to encourage you, brother, sister, God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is what saves us. His grace is what sustains us. His grace is what strengthens us to live through our sufferings and trials in this life. And His grace is what will keep us to the end. And true believers know that. You know, John MacArthur says, true believers, when they hear the truth, they know they're hearing the truth. The author is reminding them, this is the truth. And of course, they would face criticism. They would face mockery for their belief in grace you know jewish counterparts would say oh you what kind of religion is this you don't even have an altar you don't even offer sacrifices and the author responds to that saying in verse 10 we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat our altar is christ he is the once for all sacrifice that by his blood washes away our sins and those who serve under the old covenant law have no benefit from his sacrifice unless they trust him. It's true for us. We have the gospel. And the gospel is enough for us, brothers and sisters. We have Jesus Christ, his perfect sacrifice, his glorious righteousness, more than sufficient in every trial, in every season. Even if we are rejected, 
Even if we are mocked and excluded, even if we face harm and hatred for his name, his grace is sufficient for us. And that leads to our next exhortation. The doctrine of Christ must lead to our devotion to Christ. We remember faithful leaders. Second, we reject strange teachings. Third, we must risk worldly reproach. We must risk worldly reproach. Look at verses 11 to 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The author reminds them and he reminds us once again of the gospel that he has proclaimed over and over again throughout Hebrews. Of how all of the Old Testament sacrifices were a picture and a preview pointing forward to the once for all perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at verses 11 and 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Uh, the author has shown us again and again throughout Hebrews how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament sacrificial system. You think of the Day of Atonement ceremony in which the high priest, after offering the sacrificial goat, for sin, a bull for his own sins and a goat for the people's sin, brings the blood indicating that a death has taken place for sin. The wages of sin is death. He brings the blood of the animal into the holy place. And the author has shown us in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 how Jesus fulfills that. That he as the great perfect high priest offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, shed his blood, died on the cross, rose again victorious and has entered into heaven's holy place, into the holy of holies, making a way for all who trust him to follow so that we would have forgiveness of sins and access to God's presence. He fulfills the picture of that Old Testament sacrifice. Here the author wants us to show us another part of the picture of this Old Testament sacrifices. Did you notice what he says there? That after the animal is sacrificed and its blood brought into the holy place, the body of the animal is taken outside the camp into an unclean place and burned over there. How does Jesus fulfill that aspect of the sacrifice? Well, he died outside the city gates. It's a picture of what our sin deserves. That the Son of God stood in our place, was condemned, was put to shame, 
And then he was taken outside the city gates, excluded from the city, facing rejection and hostility and abuse. They mocked him, they beat him, they spat upon him, they abused him. They nailed him naked and ashamed to a cross. He suffered outside the gate, executed as a common criminal with the scorn of all the people there. They wagged their heads at him. They said, who is this guy? He faced shame and disgrace. Not for his own sin, because he was perfect in every way. He was not condemned because he had done anything wrong. Why was he condemned in such a way? Why did he go outside the gate? Why did he take upon himself such insult and abuse and reproach? Friends, he did so because he was standing as our substitute, as our representative in our place for our sins. He took upon himself the reproach that you and I deserve, the condemnation that you and I deserve. He took upon himself the wrath of God, the judgment of God for sinners as he went outside the city gate and was crucified shed his blood in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And he rose again and now summons all of us to repent, to turn from our sin, to trust in him, and so to be cleansed from sin by his sacrificial death. If you're here and you have never received the forgiveness of sins, come to this Christ who bore disgrace and shame for you, who took upon himself the abuse that you deserve, who took upon himself the punishment that sinners deserve so that whoever turns from sin and trusts in him will be forgiven of sin and will never be put to shame in God's heavenly kingdom. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Christ, I want to call and invite you to turn from your sin and to trust him. The author also presses though an implication of this gospel upon our lives. He says, Jesus suffered for us. He went outside the gate for us. And when we come to him, we become his family. Which means now, we must suffer with him. He suffered for us, therefore we must suffer with him. He went outside the gate for us. Therefore, we go outside the camp to him. I mean, if you think throughout Hebrews, again and again, the author has said, draw near, draw near, come to this merciful high priest. Come to this Christ who overflows with compassion and mercy. He has said, Christ has entered into the holy place. Therefore, let us go to him to receive mercy and grace. And the same author who has again and again told us, go to Jesus to receive mercy and grace. Follow him into the holy place, into God's presence. Now says, Jesus also went outside the camp. Therefore, we must go to him. Away from this world. We must share in his disgrace. We must share in the rejection that he faced. We must share in affliction and exclusion in this world. For the name of Christ. And just as for Jesus, after his suffering came glory, there is the promise for us too that after suffering comes glory. Look again at verses 12 to 14. 
So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Friends, to go with him outside the camp, to bear the reproach that he endured, means that we embrace suffering with him. It means that we risk it all for the sake of Jesus, for his name. You know, a lot of people these days keep on teaching Christianity as a means to self-fulfillment. Trust in Jesus and everything will be good. This is how you can find your purpose. This is how things will be better. You need to find your purpose in Christ. Well, The author of Hebrews doesn't teach Christianity. In fact, the Bible doesn't teach Christianity as a means of self-fulfillment. Christianity begins with self-denial. Jesus says, if anyone must be my disciple, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross, be ready to suffer, die for my name, and follow after me. So I want to ask you, beloved brothers, Sisters, what are the areas in your life that you need to go outside the camp? Maybe for some of you, it's your workplace. You've been shy or silent about your identity as a Christian, about your faith in Christ because of the fear of repercussion or how people will view you. Maybe you get asked to compromise in different ways even in your workplace and your faith in Christ doesn't drive you in those situations to do what is right. For some of you, it might be family connections and relationships where being open and bold about your faith in Christ means that you might be excluded from the family and face shame. I know some people who say that they've been following Christ for years, but they haven't been baptized or joined the church because they don't want to risk the exclusion from family relationships that will take place if they identify with Christ in baptism. I want to speak to the teenagers, children. Your faith in Christ, if you trust in Jesus means that you will go outside the camp of this world. You will face exclusion among your friends at different times. You will face exclusion at school. You will be the oddball and the odd one out at university. That's part of what the deal is. Kids, where do you need to go outside the camp and boldly declare your love for Jesus. For many of us, it's just friends, friendships, relationships, where we're afraid of what it'll cost us. I remember many years ago when the Lord saved me and I knew that I had to leave kind of the rock music circles that I was in. And I had all of these dear friends, they were kind of like family to me. I remember sharing with them that I had become a Christian and now I wanted to sing songs for Jesus and not live the life I was living. And that was the end of those relationships. And I remember right after having that conversation with them, coming and sitting in my car and just weeping and weeping. And I had my Bible with me. And uh, 
I just popped it open, happened to land in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Friends, it's not just with our words that we sing, mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. We must face this fact that our embrace of Christ will result in our exclusion from the world. But we can. We can go outside the camp with him. We can embrace suffering with him. We can embrace exclusion in this world, brothers and sisters, because we know that this world is not all that there is. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Again, our devotion to Christ is rooted in doctrine, is rooted in faith, firm conviction of a future reality upon which we bank our lives and upon which we stake everything. Did you see the rationale there in verse 14? Why must we go with him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured? Verse 14, because for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So when we say one with Christ, I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. We also sing, mine are keys to Zion city, where beside the king I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. The glory that we seek is in the city that is to come. These are the promises that sustain us. We seek the city that is to come. We seek resurrection, life. And one day in that glorious heavenly city, we will behold our Savior's face. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more sorrow. No more sadness. No more pain. No more shame. No more heartbreak. No more sin. No more death. Just pure, unceasing joy as we behold his glorious face and live in his light forever. We seek the city that is to come. That's what enables us to endure suffering. That's what enables us to go outside the camp with him in this world. How do we prepare for that new creation? How do we live as we wait for that heavenly city to come? We live lives of devotion to Christ and his people. We offer pleasing sacrifices to God. That's our final exhortation this morning as we seek to stay rooted in sound doctrine and live lives of faithful devotion. We must first remember our faithful leaders Second, we reject strange teachings. Third, we risk worldly reproach. And finally, we render pleasing sacrifices. We render pleasing sacrifices. Verses 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. 
for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We remember chapter 12 where the author told us that we have come to the heavenly city. We have come to Mount Zion here in the church as we gather. We have come, we taste the new creation. And he says, we must offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. He comes back to that theme here of acceptable worship. Remember, these people were tempted to go back to Judaism to offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices, according to the law. And the author says, no way, Jesus has fulfilled all that. He is our once-for-all sacrifice. We must depend on him. So we don't offer animal sacrifices. But as believers, we must still offer sacrifices, sacrifices that are pleasing to God. That's what this text says. What are those sacrifices? Well, the sacrifice of praise... The sacrifice that pleases God is when we live lives marked by faithful confession of Christ and brotherly love with one another. Did you see what he says there? Let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This means we must be unashamed to confess our faith in Christ. Remember, he's told us this again and again. Chapter 4, let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 10, we must hold fast our confession. That means we must stand firmly rooted in our faith, in our belief in the truth about Christ, and we must declare that truth. It's, it starts here as we gather as a church that our lives, our worship, are rooted in sound doctrine. That's why regularly reciting things like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, confessing our faith together is so vital because it roots us in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in the truth that has endured throughout the ages, revealed in Scripture and handed down. As one author says, God is pleased by His people's worship when they keep confessing their faith together. So our worship here and in all of life must be doctrinally true, anchored in the truth of Christ. And when that is the case, with our lips and our lives, we openly and unashamedly declare the truth. That's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. When people hear you speak, look at your life and say, they follow Christ. Not only that, we must also live in brotherly love. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share, with, share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This returns to the theme that the author has told us over and over again, that we must let brotherly love continue, that we must spur one another on to love and good works, that we must live in fellowship and harmony with one another, doing each other good, caring for each other. Oh, that the Lord would grow that among us, a culture of care. And so really, acceptable worship, sacrifices that are pleasing to God can be summarized in the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Confess His name and love one another as Christ has loved us. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, towards the end of Pilgrim's Progress, 
the two pilgrims who have been faithful, they arrive at their destination, the heavenly city. And they have to cross. They, they suddenly see that they have to cross this river in order to reach the gates of the heavenly city. And it's terrifying. The river looks frightening. And they, knowing that there is no other way, get into the river, try to make their way across. And they begin to feel the waves and the tide pulling them, tossing them, going over their head. They begin screaming out for dear life. They're afraid. And then they remember this promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And they find their footing and confidence, make it across. And as they come to the gates of this city, they meet these shining ones, the angels, the heavenly host who come to welcome them in. And those shining ones say to them, you're going now to the paradise of God. You shall see the tree of life and eat the never fading fruits of it. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given to you and your walk and talk shall be every day with the king all the days of eternity. You shall not see again such things as you saw when you were in the lower region upon earth. Sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death for the former things are passed away. And then they ask, what must we do in this holy place, in this heavenly city? And they answer, you must there receive the comfort of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. There was one other guy who was with them, remember? I told you this guy who was also going along named Ignorance. So Ignorance also comes to the river and comes to the gate of the heavenly city. Remember, Ignorance doesn't care about what you believe. He doesn't care about doctrine and truth. Uh, he decides to take the easy way across the river. He jumps in a boat and sails across. He gets to the gates and the shining ones ask him, who are you? Where's your certificate of entry? And they go up to the king and tell the king that ignorance has arrived and the king refuses to see him. And the king gives orders and they bind up ignorance and they cast him out and away he goes into everlasting fire. And Bunyan says, therefore I saw that there was a way to hell even from the gates of heaven. As doctrine is, so also is life. May it be so of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. May we always cling to him in his perfect sacrifice. And so live our lives as a sacrifice of praise unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.